my family and I just returned from a vacation to Florida. It was a great time. And a couple of things have become quite clear to me. The first, unrelatedly, but I feel like I just have to share it, flight attendants would make really, really great scripture readers, don't you think? I mean, they can take a set of instructions, the most boring list of instructions, and just make it come alive. (laughs) Make it seem like the most exciting thing in the world. They're also some of the most patient and effective problem solvers. And uh, our all of our flight attendants were really great with our kids. And the second, more related to what I want to say to you all today, is that our need to feel like we belong, that we're a part of something meaningful and worthwhile, that we have intimate access to and knowledge of, something which others do not, is a strong force at work in me and in the world around. It's also a really powerful marketing tool, and I'm sure you all know that. We've all experienced it. We're bombarded with these constant messages. For instance, at SeaWorld, for a few extra dollars, you could have any number of up-close behind-the-scenes, intimate encounters with dolphins, killer whales, penguins, sea lions, beluga whales, walruses, or sharks. You could purchase the exclusive tours in three different forms. First, you could have the four-hour private VIP tour. You could have the six-hour elite VIP tour. Or the eight-hour definition of immersive family fun. Uh, And you can experience everything that SeaWorld has to offer. Get it all in one offer. P.S. This one costs $500. Zero to two-year-old are free, because you would put them on a dolphin, I suppose. Uh, And there's no senior discount, sorry. We also found a too-good-to-pass-up deal on a condo, part of a timeshare. You know where I'm going with this. Uh, It wasn't too far from the other attractions that we wanted to visit, and so just for the heck of it, we decided to sit through their sales spiel, 90 minutes, so they claimed. It actually turned out to be quite a bit longer for some poor folks. (laughs) And they still didn't buy anything. Uh, during this stretch of time, w- my wife and I were, were told that we were told all about these exclusive offers and these uh, member-only deals, this top-notch amenity, these rewards, the pricing, and this close-knit community which we could not find anywhere else in the world, only at this timeshare condo. In a variety of ways, we were told that this intimate, interesting, and extremely in-demand lifestyle could be ours for a price that could fit conveniently within our budget. I mean, to sum it up, we could say that access to this to this elevated status, this sense of belonging, to be in, to finally reach the inner circle, was right there for our taking 
And all we needed to do to get it was reach out, grab it, take hold, and live the life that we were meant to live. Does this sound familiar? It should. It's not just the pitch that we received from the timeshare. It's the pitch that we receive thousands of times every single day. Now, seriously, I'm not talking smack about people who own timeshares. I know there's a few of us in here. Uh, I'm not speaking badly about uh, people who take vacations, because that's a healthy, important part of living. It was great for our family. We made memories for a lifetime. All I'm simply doing here is taking note of the appeal to our need for a sense of belonging to sell us stuff. To have some kind of authority or say in our lives or status and how to use the power that we so desperately crave. So we've been on a journey together recently. We've delved deeply into the context in which Jesus is living, teaching, preaching, breathing, One of the main themes around which we've been hovering is the nature of real power, how to access it, and how to exercise it. We've approached it from a few different angles these past few weeks. And so it's worth being reminded, as it's been a little while, of where we've been with Jesus these past, say, six weeks, along with the disciples during just really a a short amount of verses in the middle of the Gospel of Mark. So, in Mark 8, Jesus uh, attempts to manage the many hopes and dreams placed upon him by those in his orbit. Uh, And he asks them, who do you say that I am? And Peter's bold profession, you are the Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed one, the chosen And here Jesus explains for the first time that he'll be captured, tortured, put to death, but that God will have the last and lasting word, and it would be life and love. Then we move on to the argument in Mark 9, over which one of the disciples deserved to sit in the seat of honor with Jesus. Who was the most valuable member of the the twelve of Jesus' inner circle? Jesus, which one of us deserves the seat next to you when you come into your glory? In Jesus inviting a little child to have a seat on his lap, says that to welcome someone as insignificant in that culture and as ignorable in that culture as a little child was the same, was just the same as welcoming the kingdom of God. And not just the kingdom, but Jesus and the one in whose power Jesus comes. In Mark 10, the way Jesus pushes back, uh, sorry, Mark 9, the disciples learn a, a valuable lesson about the expanse of God's kingdom. Hey, Jesus, there's these people over there that are doing healings and great things in your name. Do you want us to stop them? They're not part of our tiny little crew here. And Jesus, still holding a child, tells them not to worry about those who are doing good things in the world, but to work together to put a stop to forces standing in the way 
of living in the kingdom of God. We heard about Mark 10, the way Jesus pushes back on a culture which so easily discarded women and children. Hey, Jesus, based on the laws that we have followed all our lives, the laws on which our society is based, can we do anything we want to anyone as long as it's legal? And Jesus responds that our sense of law and order misses the mark of God's desire for us. Last week, as Pastor Natalia preached, a rich guy runs up to Jesus. Rich, by the way. The epitome of social and religious righteousness. He had it all. He deserved every bit of it. He was favored by God as seen in that society. And he asks, Jesus, after already doing so well in my life, uh, what else can I do to make sure that I have an easy, good afterlife? Seems like a good question, right? And the shocking way Jesus explains that through that though our human system of merit is always lacking, the life into which God is calling us is not scarce, but abundantly flowing through us into those around us. And just like the man in that story, the rich man, he walks away sad, and so do we, because we also love what we have. I guess in in some form or another, right, in all of these stories, the real question behind the question is, what will you do for us, Jesus? What sort of greater power and status will we find? What can we get out of this? What secret intimacy can we unlock? What safety and security can you guarantee us if we sign on your dotted line? Does it sound familiar? I mean, there are entire sects of Christianity devoted to that line of thinking, even right here in Brooklyn Park. Devoted to the pursuit and the capture of God's hidden blessings. As if those things were somehow to be manipulated or even created by our own dedication and good decision-making. But so often in Scripture, and especially in these last few weeks, we read about a different kind of life. We read about Jesus teaching something quite to the contrary. And in this section of Scripture we have in front of us today, we have something like that. Mark tells us about an intimate conversation Because there's something here that the disciples continue to misunderstand about how God works. And the repetition is something that we here this morning should pay attention to. Because it's for us just as much as it was for them. So you see, at this point in Mark's gospel, people are talking. There's a big buzz going around about Jesus. People have been healed 
Crowds have been fed. Jesus has walked on water already and performed many other signs and wonders in their presence. He is the talk of the town. He's got a million views on YouTube. He's got 100,000 followers. People want to know what he has to say. And so excitement is growing around this Jesus character. And so also the visions of grandeur for the disciples are growing as well. So a few of them, James and John, are feeling pretty good about their prospects. And so they one day pull Jesus aside and decide to tell him about what they think they deserve and how they can get it. They let him know their plans and score a little something for themselves, hopefully in the process. Seems like a good idea, right? It seems like a normal request between companions, people who have spent a lot of time together. As religious elites are taking notice of this group of 13 or so running through the countryside, women and children following, the clamor that exists around Jesus. I mean, it, to me, it almost makes me feel like uh, a little bit of middle school. You know, when I was in middle school, I had a pact with one of my friends, and, and the pact was, if you make it into the cool group, take me with you. If I make it into the cool group, I'll take you too. It's like we had each other's back. It was about survival, making into that cool group. For me, the pull, the pull toward this kind of transactional relationship uh, is, is really natural. It feels very familiar. And it's strong, isn't it? And probably more so for these ancient fishermen and tax collectors, these average, rough-around-the-edges, not-too-highly-educated, working-class rabbi school dropouts who hope so deeply for their big break, as if their lives depend on it. And they start to see the big break emerging in the form of this carpenter's son from Nazareth. We see it in the way the ten, the other disciples who didn't ask the question, get furious with James and John. Probably because they felt that James and John had kind of usurped them, that that they jumped in and stole the blessing that belonged to the rest of them. And the two of those brothers swooped in and said, no, we want it. They pulled Jesus aside. And in that confidence, they asked Jesus to give them a little something extra. See, they all longed for something or someone to pick them up out of that Roman-occupied, oppressed, poor existence. And Jesus understands how this desire works, just as we read in our Hebrews scripture text earlier, when it says he is able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, because he understands our weakness and the temptation to move further down the path of self-glorification. So they ask, and Jesus immediately sets them straight and sets himself, the disciples, and all of us here this morning, 
in a different direction. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. We want to be in with you. We want to feel that intimacy. You're going places. You're popular. You're going to take us right out of this muck and mire and this existence that we trudge through every day. And you're going to take us on to something bigger and better. We believe in you. We want to sit at your right and your left. When you finally make it, when you arrive, when you reach your full potential and power, we want to have a special, exclusive, intimate part of it. We want to feel it. We'll be included in it. So just in case we need another reminder of what God's power is all about and the position God takes in relationship to suffering, and we do, uh, theologian David Loos puts it like this. Jesus paying pretty much, saying pretty much the same thing he said several times already points the disciples then and now back to servanthood and service. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. Another call into a deeper discipleship, another clarification of what that actually means. Jesus doesn't just issue the call, though. He shows it. He lives it. He embodies it on a cross. And as it turns out, Jesus isn't climbing a social ladder. He's not going to the top. But he's on his way to Jerusalem to carry, be nailed to, be hoisted upon, and ultimately killed on a cross. And yet James and John, not knowing what they're saying, ask if they can stand next to Jesus when he comes into his glory. They feel they've earned it. That place, one on his left, one on his right. Places of special honor and status. Wealth and power. Places of intimate, unique connection with Jesus and his authority in the world. And we are prone to feel like we deserve those positions as well. That that spot belongs to us. We've earned it. We deserve the blessing. We're here. We showed up. Others had their chance. But ultimately, they can't cut it, we say to ourselves. Those people, they get the scraps, if anything at all. And just as Jesus corrects them by saying, it's not for you, but for someone else. He's saying the same thing to us right now. And Mark's intention is that we should immediately jump forward in time in the story. Because we know the rest of the story. We should immediately jump to the crucifixion. And remember who was actually on his left and right when Jesus came into his glory. Who was it? Thieves. Criminals. They were on his right and his left. But those were not places of honor or power, but of humiliation 
torture, and death. Those criminals, they are the ones to whom the kingdom of God belongs. Sinners, those whose society has deemed unworthy, deficient, they are the ones who have found belonging in God's kingdom. Women who have been assaulted, the poor, the needy, our LBGTQ community, they are the ones who today have found belonging in God's kingdom. And you, today, have found belonging in God's kingdom. In a few moments, we will step forward and we will hold out our empty hand. And into that empty hand will be placed the body and blood of Jesus. And we will take it. And we will be filled and and reminded that once again we are all beggars at the table of the Lord as Martin Luther preached while an Augustinian monk. None of us who feel entitled to occupy that space in fact belong there. None of us who feel like we deserve it, that we've earned it, in fact are able to go there and take it. It is not for our taking. The outcast, the stranger, the refugee, the alien, us here today, have all been invited to step into the love of God in Christ, to walk in God's authority, to live in God's power, and to share it. Today and forever, Our belonging in the kingdom of God is settled once and for all. We belong. And we didn't even have to go to Florida to get it. Amen. We must go, live to feed the heart.